Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Gold refined in the fire is gold that's able to go through the fire and it gets purified. He says, what you do need that you can be right with me, you need to be purified. You got to get that from me. He says, you need white garments, right? But we know that that speaks of the righteousness of Christ is applied to everybody that puts their faith in Christ because nobody here can make it to heaven on their own righteousness. None of us are going to go to heaven because we're so good. Ain't none of y'all that good. I'm part of y'all, right? None of us have been that holy. None of us are that perfect on your best day. You need Jesus. How do you feel about your standing with Jesus? Is it possible that you might not feel good enough to have fellowship with him? Today, Pastor Bill has some great news for you. You're not, but Jesus still wants you. Often we can feel so burdened by the stains of our past that we don't see any way to ever feel clean again. But what we can't fix, Jesus can. He can purify you. He can perform the ultimate makeover of your life. None of us are good enough. But through Jesus alone, you can be. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, as he continues his message, the church of Laodicea. He says this in verse 17, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That is how the Laodiceans viewed themselves. This was a self-sufficient, wealthy, well-to-do group of people. We don't need anybody, need anything. We got this ourselves. Jesus says, that's what you say. You say you're rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That's not how I see you. That's how you see yourself. Look at what Jesus says, though. He says, that's how you see yourself. He says, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's how he sees them. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind. If I walked up to somebody on the street and said that about them, hey, man, you wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and it'd be a fight. Them fighting words. Jesus Christ is saying, that's what I see. I know you're wealthy. Probably got nice clothes, nice house, nice things. All self-sufficient, don't need nobody. I'm telling you, I'm looking at you spiritually speaking. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You're not ready to die. You're not ready to meet me. You're not in a right state. And so... We want to take heed to this. This can be the danger of being rich, but you can be broke and still have these issues. So the danger sometimes in being wealthy is people can become very self-sufficient. Don't need nobody. Got this. I take care of everything myself. I don't even pray about stuff. I just I got enough money to fix problems and do whatever. Don't let wealth do that. No matter how wealthy we get, we still need to remain dependent on the Lord. We have examples in the scriptures of people that were wealthy but dependent, Abraham. But we also have an illustration in a king. There was a king in the Old Testament, and his name was King Asa. You can follow his story in 2 Chronicles 13, 14, and 15. In the beginning of King Asa's reign, he was very humble. God raised him up. He became the king, and there was a war that was coming. The Ethiopians were coming to go to war with him. He had an army of 380,000 foot soldiers, but the Ethiopian army of a million men plus 300 chariots was coming out to go to war. He was, over, he was way outdone. And so it says Asa prayed. His prayer to God was this. He said, God, it is nothing for you to help rather with many or with few. In your name, we go out against this great multitude. He says, do not let man prevail against you. And then it says God showed up. God heard his prayer. 
And God gave him victory over the Ethiopian army, and they defeated all million men, and they took all the spoils. And when you take the spoils from that many people, guess what you become? Wealthy. And he became wealthy. He became rich. And things were calm, and he had peace. He had money. But as the years went by, he became self-sufficient. He didn't stay dependent on the Lord. And so some years later, another king threatened him for war. And you know what he did this time? He didn't pray. He said, hey, go into the treasury house, get some silver and gold, pay those guys and fight those guys, and we'll be cool. And guess what? The worst thing could ever happen, it worked. It was successful. He just dug it. He said, I got enough money. I don't got to fight wars. I don't got to pray. I'll pay them to fight them. And it worked. And he went on his life being very self-sufficient. Well, this happened. It says, in the 39th year of his reign, he became sick with a foot disease. And the Bible says, it infers, it says that he didn't seek the Lord. Instead, he sought the physicians. So he died. So he rested. And this is the thing. He rested in the 41st year. So for two years, he had some sickness in his foot. And because he was wealthy, he was like, I'll get the best doctors. I'll be at UCLA. I'll be at there. I'll be, he was at wherever you go when you got the good money. He was there. And they took his money, but he died of a foot disease. But what's inferred is that because he didn't seek the Lord. Had he sought the Lord, God could have healed him. But he didn't even give God dibs because he was self-sufficient. So if that's any of us, if we got this on our own, we're going to work it out ourselves. We're no longer being dependent on the Lord. May God roll you back today where you say, God, I need to stay dependent no matter what. Whether I have a little or a lot, I need to be dependent on the Lord. I need God. Amen. They didn't see their need for God. They said, we become rich, we become wealthy, we're rich, we have need of nothing. But Jesus would say to them, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And this is what he says in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. And so Jesus tells him here, look, I'm counseling you that you need some things from me. Come buy from me. He says, gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, that you may be really rich. Gold refined in the fire is gold that's able to go through the fire and it gets purified. He says, what you do need that you can be right with me, you need to be purified. You got to get that from me. He says, you need white garments, right? That we know that that speaks of the righteousness of Christ as applied to everybody that puts their faith in Christ because nobody here can make it to heaven on their own righteousness. None of us are going to go to heaven because we're so good. Ain't none of y'all that good. I'm part of y'all, right? None of us have been that holy. None of us are that perfect. On your best day, you need Jesus. And so he says, you need these white garments. You need my righteousness applied to you. You guys need to come and get that from me. Then he says to these people that had, a, that had a medical school and had come up with this award-winning eye salve that everybody would come to them and get, he says, you need to get some eye salve from me so you can see because y'all can see vision. Y'all got vision in the natural, but you don't have spiritual sight. Spiritually, you're blind. Y'all know there are people walking around today that are seeing sights everywhere, but they're spiritually blind. They see everything but their need for God. I need to see things the way God sees them, and I need to see my need for him. Write down Isaiah 55, verses 1, 2, and 3. I'll read it to you real quick. Isaiah 55, verses 1, 2, and 3. Jesus gives a similar invitation. He says this in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money? 
for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. The invitation in Isaiah is the same here. Jesus said, come get these things from me. And I find it interesting that Jesus is saying, look, I'm willing to make it available to you guys. I want to say this as we move forward, Jesus is going to begin to move toward the remedy. And I want you to note that he still loves this church. Would you guys agree this is a jacked up church in jacked up condition with jacked up hearts that are not doing things God wants, but God's not giving up on them. God didn't say, ha, to heck with them. The reason he even wrote a letter to them is that God is saying, look, if you guys will, we can get it right. If you want to get it right, I want to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you the remedy. How do you fix this? If you're here and you're hearing this saying, that's me. I am self-sufficient. I do not depend on God. I am not a witness. I am lukewarm. I do not impact any. I haven't shared the gospel last time. I can't think of one last time I shared the gospel with somebody. Then that's you. God's going to give you the remedy. And we should know the difference, right? Satan will accuse you that you will be condemned and feel bad. That's never God's heart, right? God never just says, you're bad. Take that. Go home. Feel that for a day. He says, you did it wrong. You're bad. But this is how to get it right. He's always given us remedy because he wants us to be remedied. He wants to help us. The worst of us, he wants to help. That's how come any of us are saved in the first place. So now look at what he says in verse 19. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. God says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. So in essence, he's telling this church, messed up as they are, I do love you guys. That's why I'm rebuking you. I'm not rebuking you because I hate you. I'm not rebuking you because I'm mad. I'm rebuking you because I do love you. God does chasten and discipline his kids. These are things that for whatever reason, there are segments of the church that are uncomfortable tapping in or touching on that we just want God to be this gooey, ooey love machine where he just love, love, loves, and he's just love and grace and patience and goodness and kindness and all, the, all that stuff, which is true. But for whatever reason, people become very uncomfortable with the other part of God where God's like, I, I will get in your business though. Y'all know God will get in your business? You know God will spank his children? Do y'all know that? Well, if you don't know it, we're going to know it. Look at Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. You can read it with me or I'll read it to you. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. I've always comforted myself with this when I had to discipline. When my kids were younger and I had to discipline them, this would encourage me that, well, God had to discipline his kids too, so... You know, I'm not better than God. So if God spanks his kids, I'm going to spank mine too. All right. So for you that struggle with spanking your kids, God has spanked his kids. All right. Hebrews 12, verse 5, I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. God said, if I don't spank you, you're not mine. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. 
Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God says, I do chasten those who I love, but I do it with a purpose. That afterwards, those that have been trained by it, they will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So I can conclude as I read, as I look at this church, as bad as it is, that God is saying, I love you guys. So I'm bringing the rebuke. I'm bringing the chastening. I'm bringing the correction. And now I'm going to give you the remedy how to get it right. Look at what he says after that. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chase. And he says, therefore, be zealous and repent. For you guys that have gone through this letter with us, you're going to notice this, that every time there was something that needed to be made right, God's one word answer was what? Repent. That's always the answer. That's always the answer to a life that's not right with God is to repent. If you're in sin, the answer is to repent. If you're distant from God, the answer is to repent. If you find that I'm not quite in sync or in fellowship with the Lord the way that I need to be, the answer is to repent. So then what does it mean to repent, right? Repentance is different than confession. Um, confession is telling God, agreeing with God verbally that I've done something wrong, right? And 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So we do that. But that's not repentance. Repentance can be seen in action. So to repent means that you make a U-turn, that you turn away from whatever you were doing and you begin to follow and walk back towards the Lord. So if you repent of something, it means that you're not doing it anymore. Pastor Clint joked earlier about shooting dice. He accused me of asking what they hitting for. But I don't really do that. But let's say that gambling was an issue and I was, you know, I was I needed to repent of that behavior. Well, if I've been walking this way and gambling and shaking folk down on the dice game and I come to church and I say, oh, man, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm convicted that what I've done is wrong. Repentance would look like this. God, I'm sorry. I confess it. May I bust my U-turn. Now, Clint calls me Monday. Hey, Bill, did you touch the dice? No, I threw them away. I'm doing good. Call me back Wednesday. I'm doing good. I haven't touched them. haven't thought about it. Call me Friday. I'm still walking this way. I can say now I've repented, right? And I need to continue to walk in repentance. Repentance means I'm not doing it anymore. So if you are still doing it, have you repented? No, it's not the case. I've talked to couples that were you know, planning to get married and they were fornicating. That's always the first thing we deal with. Are you fornicating? If you're fornicating, got to stop fornicating. Then get married while you're not fornicating. If you're fornicating while you're not married, when you get married, there's not a lot of hope that y'all going to be faithful to each other. You're not faithful to God right now. So that's how I do it. So we'll say repent. Now they still, but they're living together and they're still fornicating and we meet. And I'm like, we haven't repented. It's the third meeting. I'm not marrying y'all. Y'all ain't faithful to God. Why would I waste the time going over all the rest of the rules for marriage? Y'all not even obeying God single. Obey God single and come back and we can talk. That's how premarital goes. So if you're here and you're thinking about it, that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what we do. That's part of what we do, a little part. So, but repentance means I'm not doing it no more. I repented of getting drunk. I used to get drunk every day. And in 1995, after I got saved, the Lord dealt with that and I repented of it. So I haven't been drunk since then. I haven't been drunk. I haven't drunk because my only guarantee against not getting drunk is to don't drink. So that's me. So I, you know, that's my guarantee. I don't know if, if I don't, I've never drank a little bit. I never drank a beer. Like, let me, let me swirl in the glass and taste. I drank I, I guzzle. I drank until I felt drunk and I drank some more to stay drunk. So so I don't drink. I don't touch it. You know, that's my guarantee. But repentance means I don't do that no more. 
right? My wife has never seen me have a drink. My kids have never seen me have a drink. My wife has never had to deal with me after seeing me have a drink because it wouldn't be good, you know? That's what repentance looked like. God said, look, be zealous and repent. Now, he could have just said repent, but he said be zealous and repent. He said, you need to enthusiastically make this U-turn. You need to be zealous about it. You need to be about this U-turn quickly. We need to hear it that way. God is saying, look, you guys need to get right, but you, don't be lax about it. You need to be emphatic about it. And I would say this. When we're sitting in church and God speaks to us, don't be lax about responding to the Lord because you know why? You won't respond. If you sit here and God's pricking your heart and you feel convicted that I need to do something, you're like, mm, I'm going to start tomorrow. You won't. You rejected it today. You'll reject it again tomorrow. You're just, you're just getting good at rejecting God. We got to obey God when he speaks, and we need to be enthusiastic. It needs to be something, God, I heard you now. I'm going to do it now, now. And we start now. We begin now. We turn from it, sin to God. We do it now. We'll continue it tomorrow, but we got to begin where he speaks. And so he says, be zealous and repent. And in verse 20, look at what Jesus says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It's interesting, right? Because there's a distinction we see here between the church of Laodicea and the church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was the faithful church where Jesus said to them, there was an open door and there's an open door and no man could shut it. They were the church of the open door. So the Laodicean church, the Lord is like, he's outside knocking. Think about that. Why would the Lord be outside? Why is he knocking at the door? He says, I'm knocking. I'm outside. I'm knocking at the door. If you'll let me in, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. And so we got to consider that in our own lives. Is God outside knocking? Because he's supposed to be on the inside. He's supposed to be ruling and reigning. He's supposed to be the Lord of our lives. He shouldn't be asking. He shouldn't be knocking. He shouldn't be trying. But here he says, I'm knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Now, some people have an issue with this. I see that I feel like this can apply both ways. I believe this can apply to believers where God is saying, look, I, I need you to let me back in. Put me back where I belong. Put me back in the position of Lord in your life. Let me back into that place. I want to come back into that place of intimate fellowship. When God says, look, let me in and I want to come in and dine with you. You understand that God is saying, I want to be intimate with you. In their culture, in this culture, the dying was, you only ate with people you were close to. You didn't eat with enemies. You only ate with people that you had. It was intimate fellowship to eat with people. That's why Jesus ate with his disciples and they passed the food around and he would break the bread. He said, the one that dips with me, right? You wouldn't sit at a table and dip chips with folk you didn't know, I hope, right? I sit with my wife and kids and we dip and they better not double dip, you know? Um, <laughs> But I'm certainly not going to roll into a restaurant with strangers and be like, let me get that, that, that dip with you, me, and dip my chickens in your ranch or whatever. You know, this personal. Jesus says, I want to be intimate. I want to have close, intimate fellowship with you. What a privilege for us that the King of glory, the Lord of lords, that's what I want with you. And maybe there are people here that are, God is saying, you need to open the door in the first place. You've never let me in. I've never, you've never received me. And I want you to hear this, please. Don't feel bad. Just change. If feeling bad don't do nothing. It doesn't glorify God. It doesn't help you. It doesn't do anything. Nobody wants you to feel bad, but God does want all of us to change. And so if you're here and you would say, I've never done that. If I be honest before God, Jesus has never been the Lord of my life. Then today, 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 you need to invite him to be the Lord of your life. 
I want you to note this. He says, I'm, I'm at the door knocking. Y'all know Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to kick down the door of your heart. He's not going to make you let him in. It's a love relationship. He's demonstrated his love on the cross. He says, look, I love you this much. Romans 5a, God said, I demonstrated my love to you and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died. So you know I love you. The invitation is from his side. He said, look, I love you and I want you and I did everything I could to be in relationship with you. What do you say? Right? Because you could say yay or nay. You could receive him or reject him. It's like a wedding proposal. Right? A wedding proposal of a man does it right. He buys the best diamond he could afford. You know, he gets on his knee. He asks a woman to be his wife. He says whatever he has to say. But when he gets done speaking, they're really all the marbles are in her court. She could say, nah, yes or no. But, you know, they both have to live with her decision, right? She could say yes. She could say no. But they both live with it. Jesus' proposal is the cross. You and Jesus live with your decision. If you say, nah, I don't want that. You know, Jesus lives without you. you know, he, he doesn't have the relationship with you that he desired, that he died to have. But you don't have Jesus, which is far worse for you, right? That means you don't go to heaven. That means you don't have access to God. You can't pray a prayer and be heard. You are separated, remain separated from God. You live with the consequence as much as he does, but it's worse for you. My heart for all of us here is that, we would, that nobody would reject the Lord and that nobody that's been distant or out of fellowship or lukewarm would stay that way. But that today, I think that believers should repent of being lukewarm and, and laxed and ineffective because God will give you everything you need to be effective. But it also, there are people that are here that maybe have just, I've been around church, I've been around, I've heard them, but I've never really sold out. Could today be the day? Can we sell out today? Can we let Jesus be Lord today? Maybe you don't even know what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord because you've never, here's the thing. If you've never let Jesus be Lord, you've never been in relationship with the Lord. He won't have another position. Jesus won't be almost Lord. He won't be kind of Lord. He won't be step Lord. He either is the Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. You're either in relationship with him as Lord or you're not. Today, that's what we want to do. We want to say, Lord, be the Lord. Be who you are in our lives. He says, I'm knocking at the door. And he says, if anyone opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And again, that's his heart. Intimate fellowship. What if we all left this place today and we had intimate fellowship with Jesus because we repent? We turn from whatever it is and we turn to him and we just say, Lord, come in. And just do your work. Have your way in my life. That's what he wants. That's what we're praying for. He gives a promise to the overcomer. The overcomer always is a picture of the believer, those who put faith in Christ. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Those that overcome, he says, they'll be with me. They'll sit with me on my throne. They'll be, we won't just be intimate with him here, but even there. We'll sit with him on his throne even as he sat down on the throne with his father. And then verse 22, what he said to all seven churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As a person, it was a letter to the Laodicean church. It's a message to us. It's a message to the churches at large. He who has an ear. For everybody here, I really would ask you to search your own heart because we're in a few, we can be a, one of a few different places. Maybe you're here. And you need to receive Christ. You need to begin a walk with the Lord. Please take that step today. Begin to walk with the Lord. Let him in. Let him be Lord. That's what we're here for. Maybe you're here and you've been around and you know church and you know God, but you know you're lukewarm. That description fit you to a T and you don't like it. Praise God that you can repent of that. You can say, God, forgive me for living like that. 
and give me strength today and not live like that anymore. And God will give it to you. God will help you. Everything he calls us to do, he encourages and he helps us to do it. He gives us power that's not our own. We got to make the decision to walk that way. As you begin to walk that way, you'll find that there's power to do it that comes from him. We know there are many ways that you can spend your day, but we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today here on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Revelation. There are a variety of things addressed in this book. There are letters written to churches, lots of imagery and prophecy, and the best part, a coming king who will reign supreme. Don't you just love a good story where good overcomes evil? Jesus is the ultimate in this, bringing good and restoring all that's broken and lost. What a wonderful savior. How do you engage with the book of Revelation? Is it scary to you? Is it confusing? Is it inspiring? We'd like to help you through what you're thinking as you're listening to these messages. Our number is 310-245-4811. Feel free to give us a call. We'd love to connect with you. Just in case you missed it, that number is 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as God continues to reveal His plan for the world and for us. On behalf of Pastor Bill and the rest of the production team, thanks for being a part of A Transforming Word.